Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. While you are there, you can learn more about who we are as a church, see the time and locations of our weekend gatherings, and see the different reoccurring ministries that happen on a weekly basis. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Welcome this morning to Crosspoint again. My name is Kyle. I am one of the uh, pastors here at Crosspoint. And uh, I have the privilege this morning of getting to wrap up the first like chapter, if you will, of the series that we are gonna that we've been working on and we're gonna continue to work on until Christmas like blows up here at Crosspoint. So we really get into like the Christmas season here at Crosspoint. And uh, in case maybe you haven't been the past few weeks or you're new to our church, um, we have decided to take a, a series of weeks, uh, quite a few weeks in a row, to do the series that we're calling Let's Talk. And the whole idea, the whole heart behind this is there are things that each and every one of us, if we're being honest, there are things that every single one of us deal with in our lives, things that aren't so cut and dry, things that are a little messy, maybe things we're not so great at handling. Uh, And those tend to be the things that we don't always get the chance to talk about in church. Um, But Crosspoint and the leadership of Crosspoint, um, we're really committed to walk through the mess to make sure that we're living the way that Jesus has called us to live. And so as we got input from people and as we prayed and as we sought God, like what are some things that every person who sits in this room on a Sunday morning has been affected by and and deals with and struggles with? Like what are the things that God would want us to address, to, to just like sit down as a family and have a talk about? And The past few weeks, we've spent time talking about the division that exists in this world. The the, the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about money and how do we handle our money well and how do we do that in a way that honors God. And then down the road, we're going to be spending some time talking about anxiety, something that touches really each and every one of us in some way. And how do we walk through these different things that we all deal with in a way that honors God and points people to him? And so there's a few things I want to mention before I get into what I'm going to be talking about today, um, just to make sure that, that we have the, the framework, the groundwork laid so that we can understand like how to actually live out being a peacemaker in a world that's so full of divides. And so going back two weeks to the first week of the series, Matt um, did a great job kind of talking us through our history when it comes to being peacemakers, when it comes to living in a world that's so divided. And he kind of laid out that you don't have to look very hard to see that there's a lot of things that divide us, right? Inside the church, outside the church, in politics, in relationships, there's, there's physical divides, there's spiritual divides. You don't have to look real hard to be convinced that there's a lot working to divide us. And what is our role in that? Like, how are we supposed to walk through that? And he did a great job. I want to I latch on to one thing that he said during that, series, or during that message. He talked about how uh, peace always trumps rights. You remember when he said that? He said, if, if our rights and the things that we feel entitled to ever come into conflict with living at peace with someone, peace wins out every single time. That we don't get to elevate our rights or what we think we deserve or what we think we have the right to say or do. We don't get to elevate that over living at peace with someone. But then there was a second part to that statement, that righteousness is always over peace, that we must cling to truth. We must cling to what Jesus says, but still live 
at peace with people in the process. That's tricky. That's difficult. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of how to do that today. And then last week, we kind of focused in a little bit more, and we got to hear the stories of some different people who had chosen the path of being a peacemaker in their lives in pretty difficult circumstances, pretty difficult situations that would bring a lot of divide into their life or the opportunity to live at conflict with people and how they chose to be peacemakers in each of those scenarios. And Matt mentioned something during that sermon as well that I want us to latch on to. He, he laid out for us the difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker, and it's an important distinction to make as we go into what we're going to be talking about today. How a peacekeeper is just kind of keeping everything from touching each other. That's the best way I can think of to describe it. You're like, if, if you have conflict with you, we'll just never let you guys meet, and then we'll never have conflict. It's just keeping the boil like, from going over the, the, the top of the pot. You know? It's just keeping everything in some level of lack of conflict. And, and we convince ourselves, like, hey, that's living at peace with people. We oftentimes don't say what needs to be said. We avoid people. Uh, we withdraw from areas where there's division and areas where there's conflict. But in reality, that's not what Jesus calls his followers to. He doesn't call us to be peacekeepers. He f- calls us to be peacemakers. He says, blessed are peacemakers. And the, the, the best like, mental image that has been kicking around in my head on what it looks like to be a peacemaker is it's people who don't run away from conflict. It's actually people who run toward it, carrying the peace that can only be found in Jesus. And so if you can agree with me that that's the definition we're using, then we have a lot to talk about this morning. Because for us, as broken as we are, in a world where division exists all across the board, how in the world are we supposed to run toward conflict without adopting the very tactics that the world says are a good idea to use, instead adopting the attitude, the heart, the actions that Jesus has laid out for us? How do we do that? How do we run toward conflict and bring peace into it instead of letting it taint us and our opinions and our attitudes and our actions? And so uh, I titled the message this morning, Let's Get Real. So if, if kind of the, the initial statement is like, let's talk, now it's kind of like, okay, the rubber is meeting the road here, let's get real. How do we actually live as peacemakers? And this is abundantly practical. Um, I literally have five things, like five points, five steps. I'm not trying to be super creative in how to communicate those. We have five things that I hope we walk out of here with being able to put into practice in our lives so we can practice, uh, practically pursue being peacemakers in this world. And I think it's really important at times, it's so good for us to explore like the big like theological ideas of who God is and how to live our lives, but man, if it never transfers down to how do I actually change what I'm doing, like we're kind of left with, with not a lot to like walk out of here with and do, Right? Like, I am so convinced that a gospel that's only good news, like, down the road isn't that great of a gospel. But the the truth is that the gospel is good news for us for eternity, but it's also good news for us right now because it changes how we live right now. It's It's incredibly practical, and it impacts how we live. And so today, we're gonna take some time to talk through how do we practically live as peacemakers in this world. Now, my first thought, 
is we can look at Jesus as our example of how to live as peacemakers in this world. And that would be absolutely correct. He is the perfect example of that. But if I can be real with you for a moment, sometimes it's easy for me to look at what Jesus says and even look at how Jesus lives his life and still totally believe that I'm called to to reflect that. But there's this tiny little seed of doubt in me sometimes. It's like, yeah, of course Jesus could do that. I mean, he's God, he's perfect. But what about like, me? What about like Joe Blow, like the average guy? Like, could we possibly live out the same uh, attitudes, the same actions, the same lifestyle of peacemaking that we see Jesus do? Like, is that something that we can even do? And, and I believe that the answer is a resounding yes. So the things that we're going to look at today, yes, we see them in the life of Jesus, and he is our first and foremost example, but we also see them lived out by people who are just like you and me, who are broken who make mistakes, but continue to pursue a lifestyle of peacemaking, running toward conflict, carrying peace, to bring peace where there is none. And so there's one person in particular in Scripture who is an excellent picture. He's just an excellent portrait of what it looks like to be a peacemaker. And if you haven't been around the church, this name probably won't mean much to you. If you have been around the church, you may recognize this name. But this guy's story, he's just he's kind of a footnote in the history of the early church. Um, he did a couple pretty cool things, but we don't know a ton about him. But what we can all agree on is he's incredibly encouraging And he's an excellent picture of what it looks like to live as a peacemaker. And this guy's name is Barnabas. And so you may have heard of Barnabas before. Um, We don't know a ton about him other than this. He was an apostle in the early church, not a disciple of Jesus, like when Jesus was physically here. He wasn't in the the group of 12 that followed Jesus around and was able to spend time with him and eat with him and, and hear from him. He wasn't in that group, but he was an apostle in the early church. He gave his life to Jesus, he recognized who Jesus was, and he helped a lot in the early church becoming what it was. And uh, across the board, like when we read about Barnabas, we see that he was an incredibly kind person, incredibly compassionate person. He got, he's like a magnet for nicknames. He had like the nickname, the son of encouragement. He's also referenced as a peacemaker throughout scripture as people refer to him. And these five characteristics I see in the life of Barnabas. These five things on how to practically be peacemakers in this world, carry peace into conflict-ridden parts of our lives, I see these things in his life. And not just in his life back then, but I see these characteristics characteristics alive in peacemakers all over the world today. And so, These five things are gonna be up on the screen. You're welcome to jot them down. You're welcome to snap a picture of them. Uh, We're gonna be bouncing around a lot in scripture today, so you're welcome to try to follow along. If this is something you wanna do a little bit deeper digging on, these notes will be on the website. We encourage you to go take a look at those as well. All right, so let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. These are five things that we can do in our lives starting today, starting tomorrow, when we head back to work or school, when we go back into our families. These are five practical things that we can do to pursue being peacemakers. These are things we see in the life of Barnabas. The first thing is this. Practical peacemakers know where real peace comes from. Practical peacemakers know where real peace comes from. As Christians, where do we believe our peace comes from? Well, turns out 
Bible has a lot to say about that. We read this passage of scripture two weeks ago as part of our time of worship together in Ephesians chapter two, verse 13. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus also talks about how he is our peace. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, peace I leave you, my peace I give to you. I leave my presence with you, that is your peace. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jump into Colossians chapter three, verse 15, it says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. Like, I know this may come as like a a big surprise to hear on a Sunday morning at church from the platform, from a pastor. The answer is Jesus. Like, our peace is in Jesus. There's no confusion about it. There's no, like, layers to try to figure this out. Scripture is abundantly clear that our peace is Jesus, period. Our peace is, is found in a moving, breathing, growing relationship with Jesus. And we see that that was a characteristic of Barnabas as well. And one of the places in his story where we get to see a characteristic prescribed to him, we find that in Acts chapter 11, verse 24. It's very simple, but it says a lot. It says, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Man, at the end of my life, I would super love if that's all people remembered about me, right? Not that he was like a a decent communicator or like a good dad or a good husband. Like, I hope by the time I die, like that's what people have to say about me. That was someone who was full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. What this says in no uncertain terms is Barnabas took his relationship with Jesus seriously, which is even cooler because he didn't even get to see Jesus face to face probably but he took his relationship with Jesus seriously. He found his peace in Jesus and it motivated him to do all the incredible things and be a part of all the incredible things that the church did during this time. See, I think this is so important. I know it seems like really rudimentary or really basic and you're like, I came to church to learn something and you're telling me my peace is in Jesus. I heard that when I was like five years old and I understand like the temptation to think that. But it is so important for us if we are actually going to live as peacemakers, running into conflict, not away from it, to carry peace into it, it is so important for us to know where we're coming from. It's so important for us to know what foundation that is being built on. Because if we go into conflict, if we run into division with a faulty view of peace, with some kind of fake version of peace, it is not going to last. It's not gonna last, it's gonna crumble. If we take this call seriously to step into areas that maybe we've been avoiding up to this point, and we only have a partial view of where our peace comes from, or our peace is anchored in something that isn't solid, like we're gonna step into those relationships or into those scenarios, we're gonna hit adversity, we're gonna hit some kind of hurdle, and everything's gonna crumble. Like we'll just assimilate into what's being presented back to us. Maybe we will get afraid and we'll shy away and we'll remove ourselves from it. But knowing where our actual peace comes from will embolden us to actually carry it into the places that need it the most. And I know, I know most people in this room this morning, 
you'll say, yes, I believe that that's true. I would say that. Yes, Jesus is my peace. Of course, Jesus is my peace. Of course, Jesus is the foundation that I build my life upon. But I think for so many of us, we say those words, and as soon as the words leave our mouths, then our hands get busy grabbing all the things we actually find our peace in and drawing them in really close. Am I right? Does anybody feel that here this morning? Like, Jesus is my peace, but man, my 401k, you come in nice and tight here. Like, Jesus, Jesus is my peace, but my house, my car, my family, my relationships, my habits, my addictions, my safety, my comfort, those are the things that really, if I'm honest, give me peace. So I draw them in here close. Let's be clear that we'll not cut it. It will not cut it for people who take seriously the call to be peacemakers. We have to every day, every moment, remember Remind ourselves, speak that truth over our lives that Jesus is our peace and nothing can shake that. From the moment we open our eyes in the morning, Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my peace. That means nothing the world throws at me is gonna make a difference. Jesus is my peace. That means I can enter into difficult relationships, difficult scenarios, because Jesus is my peace and that foundation is strong. That's how we can actually live out a lifestyle of peacemaking. I had the opportunity a number of years ago to, to go to Myanmar. And uh, Myanmar is predominantly like a Buddhist nation. It's, they're pretty militant, in fact, about it. And we got to go and we got to spend time with some Burmese Christians. And for those people who had given their lives to Jesus, they all used to be Buddhist. It's a cultural thing. It's a religious thing. Uh, like you kind of just have to be Buddhist to get ahead in that country. And all of these people had given that up to follow Jesus. And we, we had this opportunity to teach and to encourage and to spend time with these people. And I was so challenged by them as well. And, we, and I had this one conversation with this, with this man. I can't for the life of me remember his name, but he deserves to have his name remembered. So I'm not going to try to fake it or, or think it up. But he was an incredible, incredible example to me. This guy, he's telling us our story, his story through a translator. And he tells us that he has been a Buddhist monk for the majority of his life. He went as a little kid. He stayed when most of the little kids get to leave. He followed that trajectory uh, into adulthood. He rose in the ranks of the Buddhist faith. People would come to him and want to hear his wisdom. They would come to him and ask, like, how do we find peace? He knew all the tricks. He did all the acts. And then one day, someone came to him, and they told him about Jesus. And they read him that verse about how Jesus' burden is light. And in Jesus, there is freedom. And in Jesus, you can find peace. And he said, in that moment, as simple a truth from the gospel as it is, in that moment, he understood that what he had been looking for his entire life was peace. But it never satisfied. He tried everything. He did everything he could to find peace, but nothing satisfied. And from that moment forward, he had peace that could never be shaken. I mean, can you put yourself, I, I can't even fathom it, can we put ourselves in the shoes of people like this man? He was a Buddhist monk. Like, following Jesus is a drastic left turn for him. It cost him, like, everything he did, right? He no longer had a career. He no longer had a, a, a focus, at least People around him looking at him wouldn't see that he had a focus. No longer did people come to him asking for advice or wisdom. Instead, they shunned him. They made fun of him. They persecuted him. But he said, there's never been a day that's gone by that I've regretted it. See, 
this man who was bringing peace into conflict-ridden areas of his life, the reason he could do that is because he knew exactly where his peace came from. And if we, as followers of Jesus, are gonna go into our relationships and into our workplaces and into our schools and into all the areas of life where we see division, and in fact, if we're not gonna just find ourselves there, if we're gonna run toward them, we have to be secure on where our peace comes from. Every single day, we need to make sure that our peace is rooted in Jesus. Number two, second thing that practical peacemakers do is practical peacemakers function out of courage, not fear. And that's a tough one for us to swallow, right? Culturally, we're kind of addicted to fear. We're kind of paralyzed by it. I think also just as human beings, we tend to be afraid. Um, my, we were hiking yesterday in, in Murphy's, and my daughter is seven years old. Nothing really bad has happened to her yet in this world. There's really nothing that she should be, like, hugely afraid of. And the whole time, every time there was a rustle, every time I'd, like, throw a rock in the bushes to try to scare her, turns out she got afraid. <laughs> and she was like, I'm so afraid, I'm so afraid. And then I stopped because I'm trying to be a good dad. And I was like, Abby, you don't have to be afraid. It's not even something that we learn. It's just something that's in us so often, Right? Like, we're afraid, we're afraid, we're afraid. If we're gonna be peacemakers, running toward conflict, carrying peace that only Jesus offers, we have to function out of courage instead of fear. It's difficult, but we have to. We see this incredible example of Barnabas choosing to function out of courage instead of fear. And it might seem like a small example, but let me try to give us like the biggest picture we can get because I think it actually took a ton of courage. If Barnabas doesn't sound like a name that you recognize, this next name is someone that probably you will, especially if you've been around the church for a while, and that's the Apostle Paul. Kind of big deal, wrote a lot of the New Testament. He started a whole bunch of churches during that time. He pretty much single-handedly made it so that Gentiles could hear and understand the gospel. He was a big deal in the story of the early church. But it almost didn't go that way because before Paul gave his life to Jesus, he had like a, a laser-focused mission of trying to eradicate the Christian faith. He would bust up church meetings and put people in jail and kill people. And he was just so sure that his job was to stop this movement right here and right now. And if you know anything about Paul's story, he went to this city called Damascus. And along the way, he had a radical, radical experience with Jesus. And it changed everything for him. Full 180. He went to Damascus ready to kill Christians. He came back ready to serve Jesus for the rest of his life. Now, not everyone found it super easy to believe that that was true. I mean, I can't blame him. And so there was a lot of Christians who were like, isn't this just the guy who was like killing all of our friends? Isn't this just the guy who like separated our families over here? Could this guy really actually had his life turned around? And there's this incredible moment where Paul comes back to Jerusalem and he's trying to get in touch with the other disciples because he wants to be a part of what Jesus is doing in the world, and they're really hesitant. And here's how this goes down. Let me read it to you. It's from Acts chapter nine, verse 26 to 27. It says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him. Again, I can't blame them. They didn't believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, Little old Barnabas. I picture him short. I don't know if he was, but that's just what I picture in my head. Kind of a meat guy. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles 
and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. In this moment of courage, Barnabas stood up for what was true. He stood up for what was true that Jesus could actually change someone and he stood up for someone who he was against just a few moments before. He stood up for someone who didn't deserve it. Now, that might not seem like that takes a ton of bravery, but, you know, I think about that scenario. I mean, the church was just starting, and he's, he's presenting this guy who used to kill Christians to these people who are Jesus' best friends, people who could decide whether Barnabas gets to be a part of what they're doing anymore, honestly. And I know Peter had come a long way up to this point, but this was also the guy who pulled out a sword and cut off a dude's ear. So, I mean, that would be rattling around the back of my head if I was Barnabas going up and telling him, hey, you're wrong. This guy, we need to give him a shot at this. We need to give him a chance. It took an incredible amount of courage to bring peace into what could have been an incredible divide with super far-reaching consequences. We need to be willing to function out of courage Almost more than anything else in scripture, God tells his people, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And I think he says the same thing to us here and now. As you run toward conflict, don't be afraid because I'm with you. The peace that I give is peace that you can count on. Don't be afraid. Be courageous. Fear is quick. Fear is self-preserving. Fear is kind of selfish. But courage takes the long road. Courage is willing to step into relationship instead of holding him at bay. Courage is willing to say when we're wrong. Courage is what we need to be real peacemakers. When I think of courage, I think of my sister-in-law. Her name is Laura. And uh, you got a chance to see Megan up here last week. And I mean, I'm biased. I thought she did a pretty great job. But uh, her family, this stuff kind of like runs in their blood. Almost their entire family is out bringing peace into places where there is none all over the world. And I've known Laura since she was like an angsty, like 14-year-old teenager. And bravery, courage, not a characteristic I would associate with Laura, knowing her growing up. Um, she was pretty fearful, like, like a lot of people are. Not bagging on her, but she was fearful a lot. But as she grew in her understanding of who Jesus was and in her identity rooted in Jesus, she began to take steps that required a lot of courage. And being obedient to Jesus landed her in the country of Haiti, um, doing ministry there in that context. And um, I've had the opportunity to go to Haiti a handful of times, and more than anywhere else I have ever been, there is the constant feeling of unrest there, like all the time. It just feels like no matter what you do, there is conflict. And there's, there's beauty in that country, and God is doing cool things in that country, but everything is hard. Everything is difficult. Everything is riddled with conflict there. And they've had a ton of problems in their country's history, for sure. But lately, it seems to have really ramped up to the point where um, the rest of the world looked down on Haiti um, through some, like, corruption and circumstances and, and decided to raise the threat level of people living there to the point where they shut down the airport. They said, you cannot travel there. Um, they, they were pulling their ambassadors from embassies uh, out of Haiti High-level officials were fleeing the country, and even missionary organizations were saying, the risk is too high, we need to, we need to take you guys out. And a, and a huge chunk of missionaries left the country. And again, I'm not trashing on them. They decided prayerfully that the risk wasn't worth it. But Laura and her husband, Matthew, 
they weren't connected to an organization. They are the organization. And so they had a decision to make, whether they were going to stay or whether they were going to leave. And it took an incredible amount of courage for them to say, I know everything's falling apart. I know conflict is everywhere that I look, but we're going to stay. And we're going to bring peace into a place where there is none. And every day that she wakes up and steps out her door, she needs to have courage so that she can bring peace to people who so desperately need it. If we're going to be real peacemakers, we must function out of courage. Put away fears, trust who Jesus is and what he says. Let's function and, and, and act out of courage, not out of fear. Number three, practical peacemakers listen way more than they speak. Ouch, right? <laughs> Ouch for me. Practical peacemakers listen way more than they speak. We see uh, kind of if you read between the lines of Paul and Barnabas's uh, relationship, there were many, many times where Barnabas and Paul might have disagreed on something, but you can tell that Barnabas was the one that listened before he ever interjected what he thought about the scenario. And the same is true for us. We have to be willing to listen first before we speak. But man, that is a learned behavior, right? It's so much easier to yell something or post something or tweet something so that we can get our opinion out or we can get what we think is truth out and the world needs to hear it and I'll listen after the dust has settled. I mean, it's a very like, uh, it's, it's a thing inside of us that very easily comes out. But it's not at all what Jesus calls his followers to be. There's a few places in scripture that make this really clear. James 1:19 says, "Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry." Pretty straightforward, right? Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. Proverbs 18:13 tells us what happens when we don't do that. It says, "If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame." There's another translation that gets a little bit a little bit grittier on how they describe this, and I kind of can appreciate the straightforward language. It says, listen before you answer. If you don't, you are being stupid and insulting. And that's what it's saying. If we are so quick to say something in a relationship, whether that relationship is close to us or whether we sense there's some kind of divide in it, if we are the first to speak, man, nine times out of 10, we're being stupid and insulting. We have to be quick to listen. We have to listen way more than we speak. See, I believe that this is true, not only because scripture says it's true, which is enough, but I've, I've also experienced just how bad it goes when we don't do this. My mind jumps to what I would equate as like my biggest failure of being a pastor up until this point, hopefully forever. <laughs> but up until this point, I, I think this is like my biggest failure. And this, is where, this is where this gets real, church. A number of years ago, when we lived in Nova Scotia, we had this, I had this girl who was so close to our family and a huge part of our ministry. We had just loved getting to see like what Jesus was doing in her life. It was so exciting. And she said, hey, I need to talk to you guys. She comes into our office, comes into my office, and she sits down. She's like, Kyle, I, I love you guys, and I'm really grateful for what the church has been for me, but I'm gay, and I think that means that we're done. And in that moment, I had a decision to make. And I, I really wish I could tell you that I did an awesome job walking through that, but I didn't. I blew it because I would not shut up. 
I talked and I talked and I talked at her. From the moment that those words like left her mouth, I sprung into action to try to fix the problem, to try to fill the space, to try to change her mind. I don't know, there was just, my mind was going a million different directions, but I talked and I talked and I talked and I talked. And it didn't do anything to bring peace into that relationship. She felt attacked. And, and, and I need you to understand, I didn't say anything hateful toward her. I didn't say anything offensive toward her. I didn't, I didn't back away from what scripture says is true about sexuality. Like, I didn't say anything that wasn't untrue, but I just said way too much, and I didn't take time to listen. And our relationship suffered because of it. And I hate that that's true, but how many of us have been in that exact same spot, right? I'm really grateful that God's still working in our life, but it breaks my heart. I don't get to be a part of it anymore. And I'm really grateful that since then, God has taught me the importance of listening before speaking because that's not the first conversation I've ever, or that's not the last conversation that I've ever had like that. I've had many students throughout the years come and say things like that to me. And I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit checked my heart and said, Kyle, shut your mouth. Listen, listen, show compassion And then, when the time is right, then you can say something. Peacemakers do not go in ready to unload verbally on people. Peacemakers go in ready to listen, to understand, and then to speak. Number four, practical peacemakers are willing to get burned. What I mean by that is practical peacemakers uh, are not in the risk assessment business. Um, They go all in regardless of what's gonna happen. And and this is the one where I feel like maybe I'd start to lose some people. Because up to this point, it's like, okay, yeah, I can get behind that, sure. Like, Jesus is my peace, I'll remember that. Um, Like, live out of courage, yeah, I like that idea. You know, talk less, like, I can try to do that. But now all of a sudden we're at this point where it's like, and even if you've done all that, it can still go badly for you. Are you willing to do that? See, I think so often in our Christian lives, we get into this, uh, it's, it's a lie, but it's this cycle of if I do A, B, and C, then things will work out for me. Then I'll find, like, quote, unquote, success in this division that happens to exist in my life. But we have to be willing to hold all that loosely, I believe. We have to be willing to walk the consequence of being a peacemaker, even if it doesn't go our way. Barnabas, just like every other Christian during that time, was willing to give up a lot to follow Jesus. It meant that they were an enemy of almost every major power of the time. And just like so many Christians, Barnabas ended up being a martyr. He, he went through so many crazy things and in this ridiculous twist of irony, he went back to his hometown and ended up being martyred in his hometown. But he knew that, that, the, that the action and effort and attitude of being a peacemaker was worth that, even if it went poorly. I think that's why Jesus made it so clear. Matthew chapter 16 should sound familiar to many of us who grew up in the church. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Church, it's not a metaphorical cross, <laughs> I get so tired of us trying to like put our own like twists on what Jesus says. The things that seem kind of extreme. Oh, if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. Yeah, okay, well forgive someone, but like just to a point. Like, oh yeah, like, like love your enemies. I mean, unless they're like really, really your enemies and then you can kind of hold back some of your love. 
oh, pick up a cross, but it's probably like a metaphorical cross, like I have to give up a couple hours every Sunday when I come to church. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. This is life or death. This is real stuff, and we're seeing it played out all across the world. I gotta tell you about this incredible like movement that I've just had my eyes opened up to recently. The fast, did you know the fastest growing church in the entire world is the underground church in Iran? It's insane. I was watching this documentary about it this week, and it is crazy how fast this church is growing. And it's breaking all kinds of stereotypes. They have no building, they have no infrastructure. It's like mostly women leading the charge on this thing in a culture where none of that is okay, right? In a culture that is, that people are expected to adhere to the Muslim faith. But more and more people are becoming Christians every single day in this place, against all odds. And one of the coolest things that this documentary brought out to me was their discipleship model is like completely backwards of what we think it is. Usually, like if you come to church and you give your life to Jesus, then we'll be like, okay, well, like let's help you learn how to read the Bible. Like let's help you learn how to pray. Let's, let's, let's see how we can get you involved here in serving or community or whatever. And that's fine. That works for here. But it's like completely flopped over there. Because when the point comes for an Iranian person to decide to give their life to Jesus, it in no uncertain terms means their life is over. Like they are removed from their family. They probably don't have a ton of job options. And any time a person has a chance to end their life, they would take it if they knew that they were a Christian. See, these people, they're, they're not managing their risk. They're taking peace into a place where there is none and just being okay with however that goes. See, I think as peacemakers, not only do we need to boldly go into places where there is no peace, we gotta be okay with how that turns out. And if that turns out where we lose everything, then so be it, because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is better. That's what we just were celebrating here this morning. I got one more. Last thing that a practical peacemaker does is they pray, and they pray a lot. See, the divides that we experience between people are not just physical divides, right? It's spiritual in nature. There's, there's sin as a part of the equation. And so we need to make sure that we are renewing our mind every day through prayer, that we are praying for the very people who hate us and who are against us. In Luke chapter six, verse 27, 28, Jesus says this clearly. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good for those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Pray for those who persecute you. If we experience divide with someone, the first thing we can do, like before we even leave this room this morning, we can take a moment to pray for them. What a change in attitude that would make for each and every one of us as we walk into those scenarios. I think that would change the game hugely. We see in the life of Barnabas, just like all the other apostles and early Christians, they devoted themselves to prayer constantly. And they got to see Jesus do ridiculous things. And any movement of the Holy Spirit has had prayer attached to it, has been motivated by God's people praying. And I believe that if we are gonna be real peacemakers that can stand up to the injustice in this world and can bring peace into places where there is none, then we must begin and be motivated by prayer. And these are all things that we can do walking out of here. They're all things that we can begin to practice right here and right now. Now, you, there's, there may be one thing here that you're kind of like, I don't, I don't quite understand why you gave us such drastic examples because I don't live in Iran. I don't live in Haiti. Like, I don't have people coming out to me as gay 
Like, I don't, I, I, I don't relate to these scenarios that you've been telling me. And I thought about that, and I wrestled with how to make this, like, exceedingly practical, but, but I decided that this is an excellent way for us to test the way that we live our lives against these people all around the world who are pursuing peacemaking. Because, man, if that guy in Myanmar can be sure of where his peace come from, so can I. Like, like if Laura can step out of her house motivated by courage every day, man, I can step out of mine motivated by courage. If I can learn to listen before talking, so can everyone else in this room. The same is true for each one of those steps. Like if these people can do it, so can we, because it's what Jesus has called us to. Each and every week, we try to give you some, some questions to get the conversation rolling, because the sermon doesn't just end here. Um, there's a lot that needs to be processed, and there's a lot that needs to be put into action in our lives. And so we give you these questions that you can walk through in your communities, in your small groups, in your coffee dates, whatever it is where you find uh, a person to be able to talk through spiritual truth with. And I just want to give those questions to you now as we get ready to close. First is this, am I secure where my peace comes from? And be brutally honest, you know? Like, am I actually secure on where my peace comes from? Or am I looking at it from somewhere else? Am I known as a listener or a talker? When people look at me, do they say, Kyle, he, he listens? Or do they say, man, Kyle, he sure has a lot to say? Maybe some of you are feeling that right now. Okay, number three. Are my attitudes on peace shaped by courage or shaped by fear? Am I, am, am, do I draw away from things that make me afraid? Or are my attitudes on peace shaped by the courage that only comes from Jesus? Number four, do I only make peace when it's safe? Or am I willing to be a peacemaker even when there's risk involved? And the last is this, and the most practical of all, and I would encourage every one of us to to try to put this into practice in our life this week. What area of conflict do I need to run toward as a peacemaker this week? I have full faith that Jesus will make that abundantly clear to every single one of us. See, how cool would it be when we bring up the peace that can only be found in Jesus to the people in our lives who don't know him, how cool would it be for them to be able to say, I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm experiencing it from you. I think that's a responsibility that we have. I think these five ways will help make it possible. Let me pray for us. After I'm finished praying, uh, the prayer team will come up to the front. And if you have something that you wanna talk through, if you would like to receive prayer from one of these people, we'd encourage you to come up and we'd love to get the chance to pray with you. Would you pray with me now as we get ready to go? Jesus, thanks so much for who you are. Um, Lord, we, <coughs> we live in a world where there is just seemingly an overwhelming amount of conflict and division. But God, I'm really grateful that you've actually laid out a different way. Not one that, that leans into it, not one that hides from it, but a different way that actually runs toward it, bringing peace with us, bringing your presence with us, God. Give us courage, give us boldness, give us honesty as we think through our lives and how we can practically live out like Barnabas, like this man in Myanmar, like Laura, like the Iranian church, like all these people throughout history, people who are committed to live a life of peacemaking. Let that be a characteristic of us. Let that be a characteristic of this church, God, because it's important to you and it's what you modeled for us. We love you. We thank you. Be with us the rest of this day in your awesome name. Amen.